Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University. Now your hosts, Doug Sweeney and Kristen Padilla. Welcome to the Beeson Podcast. I am your host, Doug Sweeney, and I am here with my co-host, Kristen Padilla. School is back in session and fall is just around the corner. Things are buzzing here on campus, and we hope you are thriving in the Lord Jesus today. Before we introduce today's guest, let me take a moment to remind you of the resources we offer to all of you friends of Beeson on our website. There are video recordings of chapel sermons and lectures, articles and blog posts written by professors, past podcast episodes, and more under the News and Media tab on our website, BeesonDivinity.com. These are meant to aid and encourage all our brothers and sisters in Christ and the larger Beeson family, and that includes you. And speaking of resources available to you, let me remind you that Beeson's Lay Academy of Theology classes start in late September. You can sign up to attend in person or online. And our Beeson Alumni Conference will convene November 4 through 6. Tickets are on sale. Find out more information about both of these things at BeesonDivinity.com. Kristen, who do we have on the show today? Hi, everyone. We have a friend of mine on the show today. I'm really excited about today's guest. We have Dr. Jennifer Powell McNutt. She is the Franklin S. Dearness Associate Professor in Biblical and Theological Studies at Wheaton College. She is an ordained teaching elder in the PCUSA and is co-president of McNutshell Ministries Incorporated with her husband, the Reverend Dr. David McNutt. And Jennifer and David have three children. So welcome, Jennifer, to the Beeson Podcast. Thank you. It's great to be with you all. We always like to begin by allowing our guests to give um, a word of introduction um, themselves. And so we'd love to hear briefly just a little bit more about you, your background, where you're fr- where you are from, um, your family, anything that you want to share about your spiritual upbringing. Yeah, great. Thank you so much. Um, well, I live in the Midwest, but I'm actually a California girl uh, by origin, and uh, my story really with my faith uh, begins in California at Fuller Seminary, <laughs> where my parents first met. So um, I always like to say that I went to seminary in the womb. Um, that was the beginning of the, the trajectory that I was on. So whether I liked it or not. <laughs> yeah, so my my parents were pastors and co-pastors, and I grew up as a pastor's kid in California and then uh, in Texas, um, where my parents were doing different ministries there, and just was so grateful for the Christian education that I received. Ended up at Westmont College back in California with my brother. Uh, that was really special, and studying biblical languages is my primary concentration. And I really thought I was going to go into biblical studies, which is an important part of my own journey, and ended up at Princeton Seminary, where just like my mother before me, I met my future husband and just had some fantastic training there and just growing in my faith and my sense of calling. And David and I got married and ended up abroad. So we we headed to St. Andrews, Scotland, where we, I did started my PhD in history 
and he was working on a master's degree at the Divinity School, second master's degree. And we just we loved our time in Scotland. It was a dream. Uh, I learned to play golf <laughs> because <laughs> one should play golf when they're in Scotland. And yeah, and then uh, we ended up in Cambridge where my husband started his PhD. That brought us to Wheaton College where we're starting our 14th year here and are just so grateful. Our kids are thriving and it's been a wonderful place. And yeah, so that kind of brings us up to the present day, but feel free to ask any follow-up questions. <laughs> well, I have a follow-up question. Of course, there's nothing more important to study than the Bible, the Word of God. But I personally, as a church history teacher, am cheering for the people who wind up in the field of church history. And I'm glad that you wound up in the field of history, church history, <laughs> historical theology. I've read, I think, most of your work uh, with great admiration. You're a specialist in almost everything from the 16th to the 18th century in Europe. A lot of early modern Protestant history uh, is central to your work. But I don't want to tell our listeners all about your work. I want you to. Uh, can you give us, I know this is hard, but just in a few minutes, <laughs> can you tell our listeners what kinds of scholarship you've done over the years? Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, I am so interested in that time period from the 16th century through the 18th century. There's just so much disruption and transformation, and I feel like it's such a pivotal period for helping us to even understand our world today. So I have loved, I think, just tracking, especially the Reformed tradition, studying John Calvin. That that actually was something I began as a teenager. <laughs> I became interested in in Calvin after traveling to Geneva and reading the institutes and you know and I've continued to really love and appreciate that work and so my dissertation was actually on the enlightenment and on Calvin's clerical legacy in Geneva during the 18th century you know a little bit about that century Doug <laughs> so that that led me to my first book Calvin meets Voltaire I've just experienced that, you know, as a child, you know, just growing up in the ministry of the church um, because of my family. And then so I'm just always fascinated in, in clergy and kind of the complexities that they face, styles of the past and how they communicate theology to congregants in the pews. Those are some things that really excite me and interest me. And so that that was a great great book and it opened up some conversations on science and Christianity just because the clergy I was working on were engaged in scientific study, the cutting edge work at the time. And so that's been a wonderful area for me to expand in and also in with my work at the church at churches. And then just engaging, I, be, I became really fascinated in the Bible and the tr the translation and the the retranslation of the Bible over time and over generations as languages change, communication changes, you know. And so my work moved into the history of the French Bible, which is the Bible that Calvin was involved in in shaping and forming and uh, assisting in translation and writing prophecies for. So that work has really brought me into Bible history. Um, the history of the formation of the Bible, its material culture, and that has just opened up 
opened up a whole new vista of research on on French history and the French tradition. Geneva and France are so closely connected to each other. It's really hard to do. You can't isolate them from each other, frankly. And so the this project on the history of the French Bible has also lent itself beautifully to giving me kind of new insight and reflection on who John Calvin was and his ministry to people who were in exile, who were refugees. And that has helped me to understand the function, role, and significance of the French Bible in its time. So yeah, so there's there's a few different projects I'm working on with that. And I'm also editing the Oxford Handbook of the Bible and the Reformation. So I kind of feel like I've come back to biblical studies. Um, now I get to to talk about the history of its translation and interpretation by the tradition. That's really exciting, Jennifer. And as it relates to your research, you, as I said, are a professor at Wheaton College. And so I'd love for you to just share a little bit about what you teach there and um, more about the college itself and your school for those few people who do not know much about Wheaton <laughs> College. And, and just what you enjoy about your work as a college professor. Oh, thank you. I think that a lot of people know about Wheaton College, but they don't know that Wheaton has a graduate school. <laughs> that's, uh, that's often been a secret, kind of, <laughs> unfortunately. So um, I think it's good, yeah, to, to just talk about that. We have uh, MA programs. Uh, we don't have an MDiv, though, by the way, <laughs> but we do have MA programs in history and theology and biblical exegesis. And um, I've been really just honored and privileged to have a chance to really work with those programs closely and, and help to shape them, especially the History of Christianity MA program um, as director for well over a decade. And it's very exciting to get to equip students um, coming out of their, their college experience and seeking to do for their academic study more focused work in a particular discipline. And then oftentimes, I mean, the Lord has used them in a multitude of ways, but but oftentimes they are really hoping to go on to do PhD, but of course they do a variety of things. And I love to be part of that journey of discernment and equipping. Um, that's just my favorite thing. Uh, the things that I teach are the Reformation, <laughs> no big surprise there, and John Calvin, <laughs> and, you know, uh, his, his theology. Uh, but I am getting to teach a new class that I'm going to co-teach with a physics professor on Christianity and faith. And we're exploring um, just the Christian views of the cosmos throughout history and thinking through this, this amazing period of space exploration that we're all living through right now. Um, thinking theologically about that. So I'm, so there's some room also for creative work outside of my specific discipline too, which has been really fun. Um, yeah, and I think just the, the things that I love about Wheaton are, are similar to Beeson, right? Just the integration of faith and learning, being able to do that in the classroom, to pray with your students, to be part of their journey. That is such a gift, at least in terms of teaching the Reformation at this historic Protestant institution. I'm just really grateful that I have a chance to like pass on that history and to help students sort of navigate and understand their traditions that they come from and what it means to be, not all the students are Protestant, but 
most of them are and what it means to be a Protestant, what it doesn't mean, um, some of the complexities of that. And so that's, I feel like, another way in which the Lord has used me in this context. Dr. Midnight, we are pleased to say that you were the keynote speaker at our inaugural conference of the Center for Women in Ministry here at Beeson Divinity School just this summer. Uh, and by all accounts, it was wonderful. It was a conference for women, so I was not there personally, but I was sort of hovering in the wings, hoping everything would go well and praying for you all and heard, heard great things. And we want to ask you about your experience in the conference in just a minute. But what I want to ask you about first is your approach to the question of women in ministry. Beeson Divinity School, like Wheaton College, you know, has complementarian women and egalitarian women and people from lots of different kinds of churches. You yourself are an ordained minister in the Presbyterian Church. What was your journey like toward ordination? And do you have any wisdom or words of encouragement for either current Beeson female students or women who are dealing with questions related to God's calling on their lives and, and gifting for ministry? Yeah, thank you. That's a big, beautiful question. <laughs> I'll do my best. Um, yeah, so my own journey, you know, I grew up in the Presbyterian Church, PCUSA. So I I was in a community that accepted um, women in ministry. I'll say it, it didn't always work out that way, culturally speaking. Um, there's There was a big difference in different parts of the country where there was more acceptance. So that still kind of differed. <laughs> but on the whole, I think I received a lot of support from my own denominations, and I'm very grateful for that. But I, I do know and sympathize and appreciate, you know, the how hard it is when you you want to be faithful to Scripture, you want to be faithful to the Lord. That's the most important thing, and you feel this calling on your life, and your church has a different view of what is permitted for you. And I think that I really want to empathize with that situation and, you know, to encourage women um, to keep seeking faithfully God's calling, to keep studying that, to seek out mentorship and support. There are different perspectives um, on this issue, and there are good reasons why people support women in ministry. There's just a lot of great examples of women in ministry in scripture. That's probably the best reason why this is a good thing for the church. And so um, rather than seeing it as like, if I pursue this, I'm going against scripture. I don't think you have to arrive at that conclusion. And I think it's important that you don't go against your reading of scriptures. I have experienced some of that, the, the complexity of that, of trying to stand in different spaces and be faithful in different spaces to connect with people who, with different perspectives on that issue. And, and, you know, my heart's desire usually is, can we just focus on Christ? That's what I would rather do. And, you know, I hope that there will be more spaces where we can sort of see that there are good reasons to support women in ministry, biblical reasons, and that, that we can sort of build a bridge. Jennifer, I was so pleased that you were the first speaker for our first uh, Women in Ministry conference. Before we even planned the conference, I knew I wanted you to speak at it. And you did, as Doug already said, such a wonderful job. The theme of 
this particular conference, the theme of your talks uh, was Minister Like the Magdalene. And I thought you did a wonderful job at weaving together the biblical story plus church history, and then just practically speaking, your own story, your own call to ministry, and how um, Mary's story impacts us women pursuing ministry. So most of our listeners weren't there. Um, so I'm wondering if you can summarize your talks or kind of give us the high-level overview of your lectures um, and what women in ministry can take away from her story. Yes, wonderful. Well, I was so honored Kristen, at your invitation, and it was just such a fantastic time together. The Holy Spirit was really present, and I loved our worship and our conversations, and I, I really hope that Beeson is, is able to do this on an annual or <laughs> somehow or every two years or whatever. Uh, it's just so worth it. So I was, yeah, I was excited to talk about minister like the Magdalene. One thing that is really important from the Reformation era and how people relate to scripture is that they actually read their lives through the lens of scripture and they see their own story as it plays out in the text. On the one hand, that is a way for you to resonate with, you know, doubting Thomas or <laughs> Jonah or whatever it might be, something you're struggling with. But it's also a way for you to find an exemplar of what it means to, to live as faithful Christians. So that, that's a part of it. And then the other part of it, I think, is that it is an affirmation of the fact that God is consistent in how he is faithful to us and that God is it's a it's a covenantal way of thinking about God's actions from the old to the new testament and so um so Mary Magdalene is such a such a fascinating one because she has this first encounter according to you know John's gospel and and with Matthew's gospel as well, though with other women, this first encounter with the resurrected Lord, this incredible story, the most pivotal moment of salvation history, really. And um, who is this woman? You know, um, who is Mary Magdalene? And you know, what? how can we learn from her? How can we see our lives through her story? And so that, that's kind of the premise of what I was, was hoping and trying to do. But of course, the question of who is Mary Magdalene is, is very challenging. You know, she is actually kind of controversial. <laughs> um, there's a lot of different uh, views about her and who she was, and she's been confused by other women. She's been conflated. She has been, I would say, maligned in certain ways. And so it's kind of exciting to get to, to draw out her story. Some of the groundwork that I did in order for us to encounter Mary Magdalene was for us to understand that scripture is doing something extraordinary for its time and for the genres of its time by highlighting, not only mentioning women and ordinary women, but also naming them. That is something special that's taking place in scripture. And so we see, I focused in on Luke 8. So just want to encourage your listeners to read Luke 8 again 
And to, to realize that even though we think about, when we think about Jesus, we think about the 12 disciples, but that Jesus, that Jesus included women, that they were there with him traveling as part of his traveling ministry. And that these women were singled out by scripture to be mentioned and to be named. And Mary Magdalene, the most prominent among them. In fact, she's named more than many of the disciples. She's named because she has been healed by Christ. And she becomes, therefore, a witness to his power and authority and to who he is and, and what, you know, what he represents and what he's bringing into God's kingdom. And then the text also highlights how the women ministered of their own resources. And I think that's just a paradigm shift for most people to realize that women were part of the ministry of Jesus. And we see that all the way to Acts 1, where they're in the upper room, waiting faithfully, praying and singing and waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And then you have Pentecost and this fulfillment of the Joel 2 prophecy that includes both men and women. And so all of that really, really matters as an affirmation in my view of women in ministry. So that that's part of it. And then I wanted to get into just how Mary Magdalene's history has been confused and conflated, often with the Luke 7 text as a prostitute in the history of the church. She has been treated as, as a penitent sinner. She becomes the example of what it means to do penance. And so one of the things I wanted us to move away, I want to, wanted us to move away from that idea of her as a prostitute to realizing that, you know, the way the scripture introduces her is very different than that. There's no indication of that at all. That she's actually a woman who's been healed of demon possession. So, okay, so that, those are some of the moves that I had to make uh, in order to kind of bring us to kind of some takeaways about her. And, you know, the first one, I think, is that you don't have to have a perfect path to witness and minister and to be called, in the case of Mary Magdalene, to go and tell about the risen Lord. You don't have to have this perfect path in order to do that. And Mary Magdalene is a great example of that, that she, if you think about demon possession, not as something that you have necessarily brought on yourself, but evil, something that evil has done to you. And that, that, you know, and that, that happens to all of us. There are some sins that we do ourselves, but sometimes uh, we are tainted by the hand of another. And so I think it's, I think that actually is more in line with what the text says about her story. Um, so you don't have to have this perfect path. I think the second is that we're called to point to Christ and to persevere in that. And I, I guess I'm a, I'm a realist in this, but I really see in the particular, I see the universal that, you know, Mary calling Mary Magdalene to do to the resurrection of Christ was not something that actually that Jesus really needed to do. Um, he could have <laughs> revealed himself to the disciples later, but he gives her really this special gift. Um, and this becomes confirmation of her testimony. And, um, and this is why the church has also thought about her as the apostle to the apostles. You know, she has, has witnessed the risen Lord and she proclaims that he is risen. Um, so 
what we want to do then, the takeaway is we want to point to Christ. We want to persevere in pointing to him. We want to make sure we represent him in our ministry. And I really think, you know, for, for women in ministry, this conversation is different because to pursue ministry as a woman is not a power grab. <laughs> you know, this is not an easy journey. And then the third thing I want to say is just that, you know, it's hard to do that. And that Mary was not believed at first, um, but she proclaimed, uh, she ran, she proclaimed even when she was not received or believed. And that that was a calling that came directly from Christ. So. I think those those are kind of my main takeaways, but maybe you remember something, Kristen. <laughs> I really appreciated that you kept it so Christ-centered the, throughout all of your talks um, and that you did really um, encourage all women. And this is, I think, a good word for men, too, um, that our ministries are about not about us, but about proclaiming and pointing to Jesus Christ. So that's right. Thank you, Jennifer. That's a great word, Jennifer and Kristen together. Uh, Dr. Mitnut, we've talked about how one thing you and I have in common uh, is the ministry of church history. Another thing that you and I have in common is that we're both founding board members of the Center for Women in Ministry at Beeson Divinity School. Uh, would you tell our listeners just a little bit about, so when Kristen called you and asked you to serve in this way, you know, you live hundreds of miles away. You didn't have to say yes, you're a busy person. Why did you agree to serve on the board of this center? And what is it that gets you excited about it? Thank you. I'm, I am so honored to have been asked and to participate in the growth and thriving of the center right now at this critical juncture. So, well, Kristen and I met um, because my husband said, I met Kristen Padilla. You have to meet her. She will be, she will be one of your close friends. <laughs> And uh, so we had a wonderful lunch and, and talked and shared about, I think it was, it was at AR, ETS maybe, and um, just shared our just desire to support women who have gifts and um, want to be equipped and want to serve the church and just have a heart for the church. And so... Yeah, I think we just resonated uh, in that lunch meeting, and I got to hear her vision and was real excited about that. And to me, the center is doing something really special right now. Um, so often we hear the um, a common refrain, which is, you know, there are no women doing this or that. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's just not true. But I think we don't, we don't know each other as well. We're not well connected. I've reflected on this a lot because I even experienced it in my own denomination. Um, and I think that it has a lot to do with just our different denominational affiliations um, that, you know, leave us kind of in feeling maybe isolated in our different sectors of the church. And I really see the center and it seems like Beeson, especially because of the kinds of students that come from all different backgrounds and traditions um, just has this special role where it can become sort of a beacon that draws um, that draws students and and ministers uh, female ministers together to 
to have a community, <laughs> a community that's encouraging and supportive and uh, that is prayerful, that has put Christ at the center, and that's um, a resource. Uh, I love some of the projects that are happening right now, giving women opportunities to do field education. Um, I'm not sure what you call it at Beeson, but we called it field education at <laughs> Princeton. And, um, you know, that that can be really difficult to navigate. Um, so that's just one of the many things that I think is so wonderful about the center and the conference. It was so, just so fabulous. It really was, I would say, one of the highlights of my life to get to be part of that and to get to be with all those women who love the Lord and want to know each other and, you know, encourage each other. So yeah, I'm a huge fan. <laughs> and I'm a fan of you and just grateful for you and Dr. Sweeney and the others who serve on the board um, for being not only a sounding board, but a prayer team and uh, a cheer team of the work that we're doing. Um, so I'm very grateful. Jennifer, we always like to end these podcasts by hearing what the Lord is doing in your life these days, anything that um, he's teaching you in your devotional time that would encourage our listeners. Yeah, I've been on a lot. I've been asked a lot recently to talk about life work balance. <laughs> and so it's something I've been thinking a lot about, but my answer is very reformed and it's just, you know, I'm not my own. I just keep, I keep coming back to that. That is just the heart for me of Calvin's theology of my tradition, I think it's major emphasis in my my time, my life, my calling, my gifts, all all good things come from him and they are his. And I really want to to give it all to him. Um so I've been thinking a lot about that, thinking about um what it means to abide in him. Um, to keep that at the forefront, the, this reminder of that our lives are in his hands. And that's maybe it's maybe it's a lesson that has been more acute to me in these days of the pandemic, where we really are sort of um, confronted with the reality of our own finitude. And that's not a bad thing <laughs> when it leads us to turn to Christ and to the promise of resurrection and eternal life in him and to really make good use of the time that we have on earth now and that's that's something that i've been thinking a lot about and i i did want to read colossians 3:23 because this passage keeps coming up for me this whole summer and it's one that i've been trying to be mindful of and it's whatever your task put yourselves into it as done for the lord and not for your masters since you know that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you serve the Lord Christ. That's my reminder. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. McNutt. Dear listeners, let's go serve the Lord Christ. You've been listening to Dr. Jennifer Powell McNutt. She is the Franklin S. Dearness Associate Professor in Biblical and Theological Studies at Wheaton College. She's a minister in the Presbyterian Church USA. She is co-president of McNutt Shell Ministries Incorporated with her husband, uh, another good friend, Dave McNutt. She has three kids. She's a very busy person, but it sounds like she is stewarding her time very well. Thank you, Dr. McNutt, for being with us. Thank you, listeners, for joining us. We love you, and we say goodbye for now. 
You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast. Our theme music is written and performed by Advent Birmingham of the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. Our engineer is Rob Willis. Our announcer is Mike Pascarello. Our co-hosts are Doug Sweeney and myself, Kristen Padilla. Please subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at beesondivinity.com slash podcast or on iTunes. Thank you.